Welcome to episode 101, a 34-part episode on Catholicism 101, the foundations of our Catholic faith. These episodes originally premiered on YouTube. You can find the original video linked in the description to this episode, as well as a discussion guide for your benefit and whoever you might be listening with. A friendly reminder and invitation to please, if you have not yet done so, please rate and review this podcast. It helps other people find it. It's such a great way to get this podcast out there and for you to share it with others. But remember, the highest compliment you could pay this podcast and myself is to share this episode or any episode on social media. And you can do that by simply posting it on your story or tagging us in a post. At Mana Food for Thought is our Instagram handle. At Mana F4T is our Twitter and our Facebook page is just Mana Food for Thought. You can find all of that on our website, manafoodforthought.com, as well as all of our previous content. And if you'd like to become a financial sponsor for as little as $1 a month, you can do that by clicking on the Patreon tab on our website. If you have not yet done so, I really want to invite you to check out our friends at Thrive Coffee. It's Coffee with a Mission. Their website is drinkthrive.org, and they are a nonprofit craft coffee roaster in Richmond, Virginia. They use coffee to create careers and training opportunities for individuals with disabilities. Uh, they ship nationwide. Their beans are locally roasted in small batches. They make blends, and three bags sold pays for one hour of work for their differently abled employees. So go to drinkthrive.org, buy a few bags, and if you use promo code MANA, M-A-N-N-A, at checkout, you will get 15% off your first order. With that being said, enjoy the next installment in episode 101, a 34-part episode on Catholicism 101. Enjoy. When I was five years old, my dad showed me my first magic trick with a deck of animal playing cards on the top of a plastic toy box behind my living room couch. And I remember being completely mystified. I didn't understand how something could happen right before my eyes, how a magician could present a card, and before I knew it, it just changed or vanished without explanation. We have this fascination with things that we cannot explain, an attraction to the mysterious. Have you ever had an experience that you couldn't explain that was supernatural, paranormal, or involved a spirit of some kind? You know, it's funny, anytime I ask that question, it fascinates me that regardless of whether or not people believe in God, they almost always have an answer to that question. There's a sense of awareness that there is a reality beyond our own that we can sometimes experience or tap into. The day that this video premieres is a day in our church calendar called the Solemnity of Christ the King. And it's the end of the church calendar year when we begin a new year with the season of Advent. And on this feast and around the, the, the weeks leading up to it, we remember this belief we have in the resurrection from the dead and that our resurrected Lord Jesus will come someday. We hear this in a lot of the readings, like in Matthew 25, 13, stay awake for you know neither the day nor the hour. That there is a promise of this return and toward the end of this calendar year, we are reminded of that. We're reminded that we are not made for this world. St. Therese of Lisieux said, The world is thy ship and not thy home. We've known that from episode one, right? We look inward and we know that something inward points us outward and upward, beyond this world, beyond this life. And we can look around and discern that there is a creator, 
And that's a creator who's revealed he wants to be in relationship with us, a relationship we experience through faith and prayer. And we grow and learn about that God through the revelation he's given us in scripture and tradition. We learn that we're created for the good, the true, and the beautiful. And when we choose those things, we are fulfilled and we're walking on our journey home. But God gave us free will and will allow us to turn away from him. Our life and our choices on earth will dictate our eternal life. And in that battle and in that struggle, there are both visible and invisible realities at work right now. So God, at the beginning of time, created the angels. They are all spirit and no body. Superior in intelligence to us, but at the service of God and his creation. And so God also gave them free will, as we talked about in the last episode. In order to freely love, you need free will. So he gave them free will as he did to us. But it was an all or nothing kind of free will because they were going to be intimately involved in the working of creation. So he had to know, are you in or are you out? Here's my plan. Do you want to be a part of it? They needed to make a permanent decision. And one of the angels named Lucifer rejected God and his plan out of his own pride. And scripture says in the book of Revelation that he took a third of the angels with him who became the demons. And so because of this, there is a constant battle between good and evil in our world, but also within our very souls. Each of us has a guardian angel who we ask, uh, we should ask to pray for us and protect us. They're assigned to us for all eternity. And they're protecting us against this battle that is being waged by the devil and his demons who seek to destroy us. They tempt us, but they can't read our thoughts or force our will. So in a sense, they only have as much power as we give them. If you're curious about this, I would highly recommend a book by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters, where he creates a fictional scenario where there is a demon writing to his nephew, who is a kind of a demon in training, telling him how to tempt humans. And it's very telling of the ways that we fall into temptation and how the devil seeks to destroy us and lead us off the right path. This is a reason why the church tells us to stay away of things associated with the occult. To not use things like runes or tarot cards, palm readers, mediums, um, you know, black magic. Not magic tricks, we can still do those uh, card tricks and things, but um, not things like Ouija boards or seances or different non-Christian spiritual practices because they often involve us opening up a connection to the spiritual world with no safeguards, no protections or discriminations against evil spirits and the demonic. Uh, and so I, I don't say that to scare you because I want you to know that we don't need to worry. We don't need to worry because we have a savior. We don't need to worry because the name of Jesus in itself is more powerful than any evil that could befall us. In fact, if you ever feel like there is a dark presence in your home or before you, or you're feeling really tempted to do something, all you need to say to deliver yourself from any actions that the evil one or his servants may be performing near or around you is to say, be gone in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all you need to say, a basic deliverance prayer. Be gone in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Say it out loud. And we do not need to have fear because the name of Jesus is powerful. In fact, we're reminded not to be afraid 366 times in scripture, one for every day of the year, including leap day. We do not need to be afraid. It's the most repeated phrase in all of the Bible because we see the power of God over evil in Mark chapter one. In Mark chapter one, Jesus has first started his public ministry. He goes to the synagogue 
and there's a man with an unclean spirit. And in verse 24, it says, He cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Recognize this. The demon recognizes Jesus and knows that he is the Holy One of God. And then it says, Jesus rebuked him and said, Quiet, come out of him. The unclean spirit convulsed him and with a loud cry came out of him. All were amazed and asked one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. We do not need to be afraid. Jesus is bigger than all evil. And we can turn even more so to the sacraments. At baptism, there are prayers of exorcism that are said in order to root out any evil that may be around us. In RCIA, people entering into the church during the scrutinies, the third, fourth, and fifth Sundays of Lent, they have these exorcism prayers prayed over them in front of the whole congregation. In fact, every diocese in the world has a priest who is, their identity is normally kept secret, a priest or several priests who are the designated exorcist for that diocese. Because evil is a reality, the devil is real, but we have been given the power to cast him out in the name of Jesus. That we have strength in the grace of God, in the grace of the sacraments, and evil cannot prevail. But this invisible battle, it wages. We make certain choices and every sin we commit has consequences. It affects us and those around us. And that battle continues until the moment that we die. And that's what we're talking about in this episode, the last things. We talk about the end of the, the year when we have readings about the end of time. What are the last things that happen? What do we believe happens when we die? Well, step one, we die. All of us die. Our time on earth will cease one day. That is guaranteed. Our soul will leave our bodies and will immediately be judged by Jesus. This is called our particular judgment. And basically, he will probably say something to the effect of, if you loved me in life and desired to be with me in life, you will be with me in death. If you rejected me in life and did not want my love or respond to it in life, I will not force myself upon you in death. So he'll let our actions on earth decide and he will weigh them. God wants you in heaven. He wants you in heaven with him for all eternity. He didn't create anyone to go to hell. He didn't even create hell. He won't make you love him, though. He will let you send yourself to a place of complete separation from him. T.S. Eliot once wrote that hell is the terrible compliment that God pays to our freedom. Hell is not a place down there. It's a state of eternal separation from God. There's no love, no joy, no community. It is complete isolation and darkness. Dante writes, uh, characterizes this in the Divine Comedy in his section, The Inferno, about hell, where he encounters the devil in the lowest circle of hell, and it is not characterized by fire and flames, but by a lake of ice, the center of which is where the devil himself is frozen, frozen in isolation, completely separated and alone. I don't have to worry about that. I'm a good person, right? I may not do what God asked for me, and I persist in some sins, but God understands. I think sometimes we have that reaction when we start thinking about hell. We're like, oh, the church might use that to guilt me into this or that, but I don't have to worry about that. I'm a good person. Well, let me characterize that same argument this way. Let's say I'm a good husband, 
I'm not divorcing my wife. Sure, I might be unfaithful with other women and spend no time paying attention to her or having a personal relationship with her, but our marriage will be all right. At least we're not separating. I, I, think, I think we'll be good. There's a big difference between living our life to get to heaven or living our life just so we don't go to hell. We can't just do the bare minimum. That's not what has been asked of us. You've probably heard the phrase, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. It's an old proverb, but there's a second part. The road to hell is paved with good intentions, but the road to heaven is paved with good works. That we have a responsibility. We've been commissioned by God to do the things that he's asked of us. And yes, we're not perfect. We will mess up. And he understands and knows that. But he can see into our human heart. And he loves us so much that he offers us constantly the opportunity to be forgiven when we mess up. And so we need to go to confession often because we need that grace and forgiveness. We cannot kid ourselves or wait until it's too late. If we do what the Lord has asked of us to the best of our ability, him knowing our heart, our effort, and how we responded to the truth, then we will get to go to heaven. Heaven is a place of perfect unity with God. Everything good, true, and beautiful exists there, or an even better version of it than we know here. Sin, evil, and suffering do not exist there. It says in Revelation 21, The treasure and wealth of the nations will be brought there, but nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who does abominable things or tells lies. Well, wait a minute, there's a problem. If nothing unclean can enter heaven, but we know in Romans 3 that it says all have sinned and are deprived of the glory of God, we're all sinners, but no sin can enter heaven. How do any of us get there? Well, St. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the person will be saved, but only as through fire. We need to be cleansed of our sins and the effects of those sins in order to be in a purified state and enter into heaven undefiled, in a state, the state we were originally intended to be created in. Confession can do some of that. So if you imagine um, that your soul is kind of like a plank of wood, and every time you sin, a nail is hammered into that plank of wood. What confession does is it removes all the nails. But purgatory, the place we go to be purified before we enter heaven, purgatory plugs the holes that are left. You can do some of these uh, in practices on earth called indulgences. Now, I know the only context you may have heard about that is the selling of indulgences during uh, the history of the church, which was never what the church taught, and it was never permitted um, by the church as something that was legitimate. Uh, you cannot buy your way out of purgatory or earn your way out of purgatory, in a sense. But you can do heroic acts of virtue, acts of repentance, and certain special devotions that will restore your soul from the scars of your sin. A plenary indulgence will restore all of them so far up until this point, or a partial will restore some of them. And so no matter what, we'll probably need to go to pur purgatory to be purified a little bit or a lot. But at the end of time, uh, we'll be in purgatory or we'll be out of purgatory in heaven and Jesus will return for the final judgment. Maybe, hey, maybe we'll still be here on earth. And when that happens, all the bodies of those who have died will be raised They'll be resurrected and they'll be reunited with their souls in a glorified state, meaning they're unaffected by the limitations we face living in a fallen world. And Jesus will exact his final judgment. So the final judgment will not only be the judgment of those still alive, their particular judgment, but it will also be the revelation of every single sin and good work that you and I have committed to the whole world. It will all be made known. 
And after that, God will create a new heaven and a new earth for those who are faithful to him to live with him for all eternity in. Except those who have chosen their own pride not to say yes to the gift of love, to the gift of life, forgiveness, and mercy that Jesus offers. And so when we think about these supernatural experiences that people have and all these ghost hunter shows that are out there, uh, we can understand that in a proper way by thinking about this. If you've ever had a supernatural experience, it's probably with one of three different types of entities. One that was very good, loving, or warm feeling. One that was very bad or scary. Or one that was just kind of sad or, you know, kind of a wispy spirit. So we understand as Catholics that the reality what we're experiencing is the good things are the angels or God himself appearing to us. The bad things are the devil and his demons. And if you experience that, rebuke it in the name of Jesus and get out. <laughs> and if it's maybe one of those sad, wispy spirits, then maybe that's a soul in purgatory being purified of some sin or pain that's attached to that place or moment in their life. And if we experience that, then we should pray for them. Pray for those who have died. This was a practice they did even before Jesus in the book of 2 Maccabees. Um, there's a war that has happened, and Judas Maccabeus, who had kind of driven Greece out of the area of Jerusalem and reclaimed the temple, where we get the feast from Hanukkah from, he went and gathered up um, all those who had died, and he saw they had these pagan pendants on. And so he took up a collection for them to make a sacrifice on their behalf. And it says um, that thus he made atonement for the dead, that they might be absolved of their sin. Why would one need to be absolved of their sin if they'd already died? Well, probably because there's a state like purgatory where we make up for the effect of those sins. But for the most part, we were still faithful to the Lord. He knew our heart. He knew that we tried our best. And so we received, accepted, and he extended to us his mercy. This is what I love about being Catholic. One of the many things is the communion of saints. That those who have died are not gone. And if we live well, we never have to say goodbye, only see you later. The church characterizes this as three different groups of the communion of saints. The church militant, those of us on earth in the middle of the battle. The church suffering, those in purgatory who are being purged of their sins to be purified for heaven. Every soul who goes to purgatory gets to heaven. And then there's the church triumphant, those who are in heaven uh, everyone in heaven is a saint, and those officially canonized saints are there as well. Uh, and they're all praying for us and cheering us on. This is why we have a responsibility to share our faith with others. You know, there's a famous atheist named Penn Gillette, and he is a magician. He's one half of the magician duo Penn and Teller, a duo who I happen to admire and love for their skill. But he is an atheist. He doesn't believe in God, and he was once at the end of a magic show, someone came up to him, told him a little bit about Jesus and gave him a Bible. And he reported later that he appreciated what that man did because he said, in some effect, if you believe that heaven and hell are real, how much do you have to hate a person not to tell them that and risk them going to hell? We need to make sure that everyone in our lives knows the joy that awaits them. Otherwise, we abandon them to the alternative, and that is not loving. Oh, but what about her living her truth and me living my truth? Look, you know, we want to be respectful of everyone. We want to be welcoming to them and embrace them. But we also need to intervene for those who we love. That's what it means to love. If my daughter says, oh, I can put my hand on the hot oven, that's what I believe, and I think it's okay. I'm going to say, no, you're two, and that will hurt you. And so I'm going to tell you not to do that. It's not just her truth and my truth, it's that there is a truth 
And I want to share that with you because I love you. We need to protect ourselves against this battle by prioritizing what matters. I often tell people to have a deathbed mentality, to think about, is this going to matter at the end of my life? Am I going to be thinking about the choices that I made or the relationships that I lost or could, didn't spend more time in? Probably. Or am I going to be thinking about the deadlines at work that I missed? Probably not. doesn't mean we should say goodbye to those things or neglect them, but we need to put everything into perspective. Because as Catholics, death is not the end. Death is a doorway. Today and each day, you and I decide how, in how we love or in how we sin, what will be on the other side of that door. I pray that for each one of us, it will be the eternal adventure of heaven. And so if I don't see you before then, I cannot wait to see you there. Thank you.